Hey, it's Guy here. Hope you're well. This is Creative Forces. Welcome. I uh, hope you're good, whatever you've been doing today, um, and that you're in the mood for a really nice chat with a very creative individual that's coming up very shortly uh, with Rebecca Swift. I don't know if you're as knackered as I am, but I am absolutely knackered this evening. I've just been come back from taking uh, a three-year-old, my three-year-old son, swimming which if you've ever taken a three-year-old swimming, you'll know it's one of the most exhausting experiences you could ever have. Not only is he trying to jump out of my arms like a little eel half the time, the other half of the time he's turning around and spitting water in my face or slapping me across the face or pouring water over my head with a watering can that's at the side of the pool or you name it. If he's interfering with me or trying to jump away from me, he's doing it. And uh, yeah, it's fun but knackering, so that's why I might sound a bit knackered now. Uh, the other thing uh, that's about to happen that I'm going to tell you about is that in a couple of weeks' time, uh, it's probably between the next, in the next three or four weeks, uh, I'm going to become a father for the second time, so who knows what's going to happen to the podcast <laughs> as any free time that I did have uh, is going to shrink even further in the next six months to a year, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but hopefully we'll be able to keep the podcast going in amongst looking after two children, which of course will be my priority, and I'll be very glad to do that. But let's see how uh, let's see how we get on. Wish me luck. Uh, anyway, to this episode of Creative Forces, uh, episode number thirty-five. Uh, this with the interviews with Rebecca Swift. Now Rebecca is really interesting. She's the global head of creative insights at Getty Images, the world-renowned photo agency which everyone has heard of. She's been in the industry for over 20 years, and in the time she's been at Getty, she has been involved in all sorts of things, including pioneering the use of analytics in image selection, stock photography, to find out why we're attracted to some images rather than others. She's also been really instrumental in uh, ensuring that Getty's stock photog- photographs portray women and people with disabilities in realistic ways. Uh, including a ban on Photoshop on bodies. Um, So that's been a big thing in the industry. And she talks a lot about how the industry's changed in her 20 years, which is a significant amount. She also talks a lot about herself. She talks about how she got into the industry completely by accident, how those technological changes and attitudes have completely revolutionized the industry. And she also talks about uh, what she does to relax, including what musical instrument she plays. You have just come back from holiday, so how big was your... How many emails were in your inbox? Uh, that's a really good question. Over a thousand. Right. Yeah. How long were you away for? I was away for 10 days. But before that, we had our SLT meetings, which is our senior leadership meetings in Miami as well. So that was five days. And before that, I was a week in New York. So I right. wasn't really paying attention to my emails as I should have done okay. for almost three weeks. So you had a week in New York week in New York, work, a week in Miami with work, and then how long holiday afterwards? And then 10 days in right. Miami Beach with my family. So I, yeah, it was... It was a, it was a terrible state of affairs, and I still haven't I still haven't really caught up. I think I think the last time I looked, I had just under three hundred left. So, right. So you've yeah. been working your way through those yesterday and today. Or? Yeah, try, right. trying to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How was Miami? <laughs> Amazing. I love Miami. It's one of my favorite places. I love I love the nightlife and the you know the 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 the, the, the restaurants and the bars and and people shop at midnight and um, um, but then you've got the beach there. It's just it's just perfect and it's kind of almost Caribbean-y, you know, in terms yeah. of the clear water and white sands and and it's all about show, you know. It's everything's out there. So you <laughs> you know, as an observer and as somebody who's very interested in watching people, yeah. love it. <laughs> <laughs> plenty for you to a feast for the eyes it was an absolute feast for the eyes yeah <laughs> yeah and i love the fact that it's not all just one kind of person you know you've got all set shapes and sizes and different cultures you know there's a, a strong cuban culture um and then you've obviously got the tourists and the pasty brits and yeah. you know and the families and and then you've got the the fraternities <laughs> and uh you know because it was kind of the end of spring break as well when we were there so um yeah really really interesting nice really, yeah well, really miami is one place that i've never been but really do Go, oh my so. goodness me yes yeah. yes I need to go. I need yeah to go. yeah i couldn't resist you know when we found out our senior leadership 
meetings were going to be there it was like a, it, was a, it was a no-brainer for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah ship the whole family out there yeah exactly exactly yeah so when i was looking at uh, what you do um i was really interested in the stuff uh about the sort of uh realistic representations of women mm. in photography so mm -hmm. just tell me a bit about that what is it what is the stuff that you do around that now um right. you know in your most recently what are you doing most recently about it um it's it's been a long it's been a long journey to use an x factor kind of phrase <laughs> but um we you know it, it, we've been leading up to this point shall we say i think we were very fortunate in the dove the beauty uh, brand that uh, owned by unilever approached us and and um with their agency uh, sapient razorfish who who were based in new york um had come up with this idea of um creating a collection of women shot by women um which you know sounds um it sounds uh, it, it sounds like it should have been done before but it has never been done before mm. and so of course we naturally were very excited about that um mainly because we know from our own experience that it is a very male dominated um industry and that's not something that we've ever really considered as 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 an issue as such um but as we kind of move towards this 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 need for more authentic real imagery i mean you 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 read any advertising or creative brief the word real or the real word authentic is in there somewhere mm. these days and it is really very much about that and so obviously the next step from that is well if you if you're uh, representing women in in an image um it, does it look different if a woman shoots it or does it you know or, or, or a man shoots it because all of the criticism about photography and advertising in the last 50 60 years has been about the objectification of women mm. and coincidentally it has been shot by men so therefore it's a very simple equation yeah. men objectify women um but is that the case? And and so creating this collection with with the backing of Unilever and uh, working with the agency and then bringing on Girl Gaze, who are an online community of kind of millennial and Gen Z photographers, young mm. people, in other words, <laughs> um, was 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 a kind of a good excuse to do that. And and it's created this set of images, which is right now five thousand images, and it's growing. You know, we'll, we'll be increasing that over the, over the next few years. Um, that we can actually compare we can say well this has been created by men this has mm. been created by women these models were completely um in control of how they were represented they chose how they were captioned uh they chose how they they, they appeared in the image what is that telling us that's different to to how this stuff over here is shot mm. uh and i don't have those answers yet i think the answers will come in time so what um, have you noticed though from your looking at it yourself though i mean has it has the, a trend emerged just by your observations of the image of the images that we created yeah. um it's it's incredibly diverse what's what's being created and i think also because we've created this across 39 different countries you've also got the regional aspect and the regional viewpoint and the regional aesthetic that's come through and some of that sits very comfortably with me some of it sits less comfortably with me so the very in your face hairy armpits <laughs> um uh, you know I, clothes that don't fit as well as they should you know that's my own bias mm. in terms of what i think works and how i think young women should represent themselves but that's how they want to be seen mm. and i and i can't argue with that and so you know there is a there is a range in there and some of it is you know pretty straightforward um you know standard imagery mm. um and doesn't look any different to anything we've created in the past some of it is way way out there and mm. i think the time will as i say time will tell and time will will allow us to understand you know how how, how this this content works and also more importantly how our customers and how the advertising in the corporate world um, and, and media world actually um, interact with this content mm. and what they're drawn to and whether it's different to what they've seen before or whether they'll just choose the same old stuff yeah i suppose yeah. that's the key i guess isn't it is whether they notice any difference exactly yeah exactly and it's you know I've, I've been in this industry a long 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 time and what people say and what they do is not necessarily the same thing <laughs> <laughs> i mean is, is the industry changing i mean this is obviously one thing that you're doing or involved in is yeah. the industry changing to become less male dominated uh in terms of the people choosing the images or or, or uh, the people taking the images both i guess um 
I think we're in the stage now where it's being discussed, which I think is a step forward. Mm. Um, you know, as, as, a, as a company, we have always focused on the best photographers. We've always focused on bringing in the, the highest quality photographers to create the best imagery. We have never questioned what ethnic group they are, how old they are, whether they're male or female or, or non-binary, or even what country they live in to some degree. Mm. But now the advertising industry and the and the media are questioning those things um and so yeah we're 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 you know we're, we're looking at it with a completely fresh eye um which you know kind of brings a lot of excitement and and, and a different angle to you know the work we're doing day to day did i answer your question i can't I remember think so. the question. oh okay <laughs> <laughs> But you mentioned you've been in the industry a long time. How long have you been in the industry for now? Uh, well, I started in this industry in 1993. Right. So it was like the it was the era where stock photography was just taking off. I didn't even know what it was when I started <laughs> in the industry. And uh, the advertising industry was having to start using stock photography, but they absolutely hated it. We, were, we did this survey one year. Um, where we, we surveyed our clients, which were mostly ad agencies at that time. Mm. And the overwhelming response we got was that we were an unnecessary evil. Right. I mean, okay. can you imagine working with that from a branding point of view? Um, <laughs> There's and, work to do on that. Slogan, yeah, exactly. We had a lot of work to do. So we realized at that point that, you know, we actually had to, be much more creative about what we're doing and that's kind of how my team evolved out of that was you know um getting involved in visual research and thinking about what are the images saying beyond the subject matter or Mm. or or, um or even you know the color palette or, or the composition what what are we saying conceptually there how do we move that concept onwards and and trying to do everything a little bit better every time we we do it and really that's kind of held us in good stead in terms of us as a business and helped us survive through you know this period of digitization which you know we lost a lot of businesses then mm. and then obviously the the kind of the the um uh, the, the birth of visual social media and and all of these kind of crowd generated um, companies um, who again kind of you know killed a lot of took a lot of market share at that point and we've just you know we've managed to survive and really mainly because we've always believed in you know this our core message of uh, you know do the best quality at whatever price point you're kind of working at. Um, and so, yeah, I've kind of, kind of been through that entire <laughs> process of, you know, the, the, the early digitization, um, sending out CDs to people, you know, moving from analog catalogs to CDs to um, e-commerce, and, yeah. you know, and then searching online. You know, we, we had e-commerce before we had searching um, to the contributors uploading what they want when they want, which is the, you know, our iStock model, mm. um, which is a, you know, pure kind of visual democracy there's you, you can pretty much find anything on that site because mm. you know there's there's such a range of photographers on there so um yeah i mean the way the industry looks now compared to how it was then is you know has has expanded dramatically we would create maybe thirty-five thousand images a year mm. uh in in the 90s and we're now creating sixty-five thousand images every single day <laughs> so you know the the, the, ter- the churn is, is getting is getting bigger and bigger but, I, but what is also happening is, uh, and what has happened to us as a business, mm. is that we've gone from unnecessary evil to actually being experts because we <laughs> we have this view of the world, you know, working with over a million clients and, and having a billion searches happening on our site, not... Not like on Instagram where you have clicks and, and, and interactions, which is how a lot of success of campaigns gets measured nowadays. But mm. actually people are, part, are paying for this. You know, they're putting their hands in the pockets and they're buying these images. So you know that, they're, that they are emotionally committed to them. And so having all of that data and that information has actually given us a, like a jump up. Mm. Um, and suddenly we're now being consulted by those agencies who used to think we were evil and, and now they've realized we're not evil and <laughs> actually we have something that we can share with them yeah. um and you know using our power for good i think is 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 really important and that that's something that's kind of really really evolved in my own mind in that you know i started in in um in this industry because i needed a job mm. i just moved to london 
I saw this ad. I don't know if you remember, but media um, jobs used to be um, advertised in The Guardian on yeah. a Monday. Yeah, The Guardian Media. S- exactly. Uh, so section, I used to it? get The Guardian on a Monday. And there was this tiny little ad. I think it was, it wasn't even eighth of a page. I think it was probably sixteenth of a page. And it was had a little, um, <laughs> I should have kept it, had a little board around it. And it was a photo agency um, looking for staff and, you know, send your CV in. So I did that because I just moved to Clapham and I needed, I need, uh, I needed to pay the rent. Hmm. And came in for an interview, and it was actually across the road from where our our company is right now. And um, wasn't entirely sure what the whole thing was about, um, um, but but it sounded interesting. So uh, you know, I went through the interview process, <laughs> and 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 again, I didn't really think too much about it afterwards. I went off to America and had a great time. Came back and was offered the job. And I remember saying at the time to my friends, I'm I'll probably do it about a year and a half <laughs> or two years, and then I'm going to go into advertising because that was my real kind okay. of thing that I wanted to do. I'd done a postgraduate in advertising and marketing. And uh, lo and behold, um, I'm still here. So I've been <laughs> I've been doing this job for I did I did it for 16 years. So to, to 2009, and then I left and I did a PhD, uh, and that was kind of connected to this. Actually, this is a very long long answer. <laughs> I, I totally realise that, but I um. I would kind of developed this methodology which was part of this visual research um, team yeah. um, where you know we, we deconstructed images and kind of worked out why they worked and why they didn't work so it had a very commercial sense to it but I also realised that we were doing stuff on scale which wasn't really happening in academia so in academia there's there's a, 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 a visual methodology called semiotics which kind of deconstructs images um, but it was very um it, it was very focused on one or one or two images at a time, and we were looking at thousands at mm. this point. And now, obviously, we're looking at millions at a time. And this is all to assess why some images are picked rather than others, and why they're successful. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. Um, and also why why they are successful at a particular point in time. So mm. why do when we look at an image from the '90s, do we immediately identify <laughs> it as a '90s? Yeah. Not even through the fashion or the hairstyle, but the style of photography. Yeah. Even looking at photography ten years ago, to me now. It's like, oh my God. But at the time it felt amazing and creative and, and you know, right on the cutting edge. Um, so, I, so I wanted to kind of convert that into, an, uh, to, into a- academic methodology because I knew at some point someone else would do it. And the thing with the PhD, obviously, is you've got to do it before anyone else. <laughs> so I just threw myself into it. Into, I think it was so this some, was the PhD? This is the PhD. Yeah. I think I had some kind of midlife crisis um, in, around about, I must have been just coming up for 40, yeah. And... Um, and so uh, marched off to um, to university and uh, <laughs> and, and did this. this Which PhD. university was that? You went to? I started at um, UAL, so I was at LCC in Elephant Castle. Right. And then my supervisor, my professor, um, took a job at De Montfort in Leicester, right. which is um, which is the old art college and has a, has a rich history of photographic um, studies. Um, so I actually went with her. So I, I, I did it across two two universities, and. Um, yeah, and, and, and I, I messed around for a bit. I worked for um, Save the Children. I did some amazing research with them looking at how fundraising photography is used in, in NGO mm. advertising. Um, and for the first time in, um, in the NGO world, we took the images that we had taken of people in gaza and afghanistan and the slums of india and we took them back and said this is the advertising that we use to 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 get you money and kind of asked them their opinion and uh, and their community's opinion on that mm. so that was very rewarding you know having come come from an advertising where you were always working with models at that time we don't so much now to actually working with real people who ha- who had real issues and were suffering mm. uh was bit of a kind of eye opener for me it really was um and then i did uh i I taught um photography ba and masters and and really and and kind of got my uh, qualification for teaching um and then did you think you were going to move into teaching them i did actually i really imagined myself in academia at that time because it felt much slower and more comfortable and then I realised it was too slow and too comfortable. <laughs> and um, why did you think you wanted that at that time? I think it was just coming from the commercial world. Yeah. I, you know, I, I had got to a point where I felt like I had done and seen it all. Yeah. And we were going through a period where it was all about quantity. It was the era of 
Flickr and you know and, and iStock had, had had just come into our business where we were just being overwhelmed with content mm. and in the end you, you know we, we were less concerned about quality at that time we just needed to get it all in and finding ways of getting it in mm. and you know the the um, the consumer aesthetic or the mobile phone aesthetic was very very popular at that time because it was new and exciting yeah. um, and it wasn't kind of highly constructed and and and, and stocky I'm doing inverted commas. <laughs> um, and so uh, and so it felt like the right time to go off and do that. Yeah. But actually, interestingly, the reason I came back yeah. was to work with the iStock community, which was the with kind of the reason why I left in the first place. Right. So, um, what changed in the intervening time then? Um, I think the business attitude had changed. I think the bringing in all of that content through the crowdsource model, um, they actually realised that that it needed direction and with it, it had survived because it was a new business model and everyone's mm. like oh my god a pound an image yeah of course and this I'm was the idea it. that anyone could upload anyone could upload and people could pay them through you effectively that's right and it was image. it was it was what's called micro stocks so yeah. instead of paying two three i don't know five hundred dollars or five hundred pounds for an image you were paying one or two yeah. you know but it was high churn you know it was yeah. a lot of quantity um but they'd kind of I think it got to a point where the other competitors had come into the business uh, into the into the industry sorry and um, we needed to, that you know that, that 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 entire community needed direction so I was like actually that sounds really interesting I think mm. I'll give that a bash so did they give you a shout that they wanted you to come back yeah or, right. yeah so that was great and so so for a little while there I was doing and that's kind of where my PhD really dragged out because I um I was working here three days a week and then doing academia for two days a week. And it, you know, it enabled me to still teach and, and mm. get involved in other projects. Um, and I've only recently come back full time, last year actually. Okay. And that's when I've started working on these big projects like the, the Dove campaign. And, uh, and we're also working on a, uh, a collection around uh, depicting disability, which we're mm. launching yeah. later in, uh, in May. Yeah, so tell me about, about that because that's another big issue, I guess, within the industry that there isn't this sort of representation of people with disability in stock images am i right is that that's the yeah the well the, the, there is but the the authenticity of them is questionable mm. um and it shocks me in even from my own experience that i've been on shoots where i have allowed a photographer to take an able-bodied model put them in a wheelchair and call them disabled um which i have to say at the time didn't even cross my mind morally or or whatever mm. but now since we've been working on this project it's like oh my god i'm actually shocked i'm shocked at that behavior and i'm actually shocked when photographers still do it today yeah so that kind of came about um because oath which is now called verizon yeah. which i think the uk's better knows it as yahoo yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um uh are, are very um very keen on um accessibility and 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 thinking about um uh, representation and, and disability and, and they put a lot of their um research and marketing clout into that so their team uh, contacted us and said you know we'd really love to create something um in partnership um whereby we take our knowledge um, and put it together with your kind of image know-how and, and create this collection. So they went away and they worked with 15 different disability organisations across, you know, neural disability, physical... Um, uh, developmental I can never say that word <laughs> developmental uh, disabilities <laughs> yeah it is so you know across a huge range and um, together we created um, a, a, both a brief for our photographic community but also a guidelines you know what to do what not to do how to make somebody who has a physical disability feel comfortable in the mm. shoot situation making sure that the the location's accessible you, you know you bring in enough breaks you know how do we how what words you could you should use and um and and you know just those so that our photographers feel more comfortable doing it themselves because that's the other thing mm. you know none of our photographers work for us they're all freelance we have to persuade them to do this content so what we have to do is make it more comfortable for them to do it mm. so first of all we have to um, persuade them that it's a good idea and of course it's a good idea because um, we need better representation of disability but also I think the corporate and the media world is opening up now and thinking well actually if we're talking about diversity and inclusion it's not just about ethnicity it's about mm 
it's about disability as well of course it is um and um and even within disability it's not just somebody in a wheelchair or someone with a prosthetic leg which tends to be the cliche um so uh you know working through all of that and making sure that we have um representation of different disabilities but also within that men and women and ages and different ethnicities and different kind of family makeups and you know it's it's there's a lot of work to be done there because there are so many kind of cliched images and there's actually so many fake images as well yeah Yeah. and and so by creating this collection we're kind of almost putting a rubber stamp on it and saying look this has been approved i edit this collection with those 15 disability organizations and they have you know they have said yes this is fine Mm. this works for us um and probably one of the best things i've done recently was um Verizon set up a meeting in um, in Washington for their clients. So they, you know, they had a lot of obviously digital companies and um, Google and Facebook and you know uh, Amazon that that kind of thing there. Um, and they also had um, people from the from the disability organisations talking about the images. Mm. They weren't in the images, but they were talking about the images that we had created and hearing them talk about seeing themselves represented in a way that was romantic or um, active or you know part of um, part of society rather than being alone which is again kind of the cliche of how these these this content has been created mm. really kind of motivated me and it was you know it was almost kind of reminded me a bit of going back to the save the children time where i was really hearing from real people what essentially is is you know is, that's essentially not how we've created images in the past it's been with models it's been a fake environment we have said this this woman is a mother mm. or we said this woman is a lover yeah. but now we're actually saying this person is who they are mm. um which is almost photojournalistic which mm. is fascinating um and um yeah and and so i'm really proud of this collection it's very it's it's, it's going to be quite small when we launch i think it'll probably be about a thousand images but i hopefully it's going to grow and i can feel the confidence growing with the photographers that have been shooting this content they're starting to get better and better at it so rather than having specialist photographers who who only shoot disability and are not necessarily the best photographers in the world we're getting the best photographers in the world to shoot this content and mm. it looks as beautiful and as aesthetically pleasing as a 20 year old beautiful long-haired model you know yeah. and that's kind of that i think that's what that is the key is taking all of that aesthetic and creative know-how and putting people in in those images that you would have not have seen in the past do you think that this you know the the last few years when we've seen this drive towards more authenticity in lots of different fields but particularly the media um is that down to in large part social media and the fact that so many people now are putting images up which are of themselves is that what's what's driving it? and and the the coverage in the media therefore of people and of this part of it is more coverage in the media of people from with different with disabilities, different backgrounds, etc. Yeah, yeah, and and I think I think it's been the driving force, and I think it's been the driving force, but over a over a ten year period, mm. in that, you know, if you were not a white, slim, long haired woman, you wouldn't necessarily have seen yourself represented in in mainstream magazines, which mm. is what I grew up with. You know, smash hits <laughs> and just seventeen, and yeah. you know that Jackie magazine. Oh my goodness, to show <laughs> my age now, um, but now you know young kids can find their people they can whether that's somebody who looks like them or someone who has the similar interests or um is involved in similar hobbies you know and they're and they're creating their own communities and creating their own kind of visual language that they're that they're looking at and uh, and also we do you know we page through that that content every single day i see way more visual social media images than i actually do on mainstream uh, advertising Mm. and so that's although i'm not consciously um kind of looking at it judging it or whether it's all going into my visual memory and it's all it's having an impact on on the things that i now like to look at Mm. um and, and i think it's it's a it's a great thing for the future for the future generations in terms of what they will accept um and it's interesting you know looking at how gen z look at photography now and they understand an image has been retouched they know how it's been judged up to, yeah. to you know i mean they understand instagram filters and that yeah. kind of thing and they just they, they accept it but they move on 
Um, and so there is room, there's still room for that high glamour, glossy imagery, yeah. but there needs to be a whole lot of room for everything else. Yeah. And it's interesting how Instagram was seen as the the like shining star of authenticity. <laughs> oh my goodness, you know, it was like put on a pedestal when, when we first kind yeah. of discovered it. It's not anymore, I guess. It's not it? anymore. <laughs> and it's like, even that's fake. Yeah. And we, we're understanding more and more how fake that is. Mm. Um, but I think as long as we're able to, to visually... Um, understand why one's fake and one isn't yeah. then um then i think it's going to be a, the world will be a better place for everybody mm. um and, <laughs> I, and it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next generation like yeah. how, what kind of photographs they take and how they represent themselves and yeah. how they um you know how they react to to, to advertising especially and i think you know it's been a it's been a hard time for advertising you know they're they're fighting against all this authenticity on on yeah. on visual social media. So do you go into that or do you reject that and go the other way? Mm. You know you can kind of see the you know you can see the the the, the, the struggle that brands are going through yeah, right now. Definitely. Well, you mentioned there reading Jackie and Smash Hits growing up. <laughs> oh my so god! Where did where did you grow up? I grew up. I was born in Kent. Right. Uh, so I'm a. Kentish maid, I believe. I think I'm just trying to work out which side of the river it was. Um, and then I did my um, my later schooling in Suffolk. So right. I was on the Suffolk coast. I was a bumpkin for a, right. for a few years. So what was the dream when you were at school? What were you into when you were at school? Was it was it was photography even on the radar then? No, no, no. I was into Adam and the Ants and Catchy Goo Goo and the, you know that kind of new romantics, kind of new wave punk stuff. And then I kind of moved on to Wham later. Right. So. Um, um, I just wanted to get out of Suffolk and get to London. I think yeah. that was kind of, that was always the thing for was me. Was there a thing that you thought you might do at that stage? Or was it just really get to London and see what happens? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 was, I, I studied English literature, believe it or not. So I spent, I spent my student life studying words and then I've ended up in, in imagery. I, was always, <laughs> I always used to collect, I always used to make mood boards. Um, they weren't called mood boards at the time, no. but I always used to collect images and, and, and kind of make collages and things of things that I was drawn to. Yeah. Which which is something we do here actually as part of our kind of creative process so I guess there was something in that but I think coming from a family of scientists it wasn't an obvious route for me okay. to take what, what did your mum and dad do then my dad was uh, my dad worked for the Ministry of Agriculture, Fishes and Foods. He um, he was a, uh, a, a research scientist into radioactivity in in uh, in the sea and in the marine environment. Mm. And so very sciencey. My mother was actually a zoologist, and then she retrained as a computer um, teacher. She was one of the first computer teachers in the eighties. Right. So she learnt languaging and coding, and and you know we ha we ended up with a um, BBC Micro. Do you remember when yeah, they were first launched? We had one of the early ones. So. Um, um, my brothers all learnt um, coding, and yeah. um, um, and so that they've all kind of gone down the sciencey route. So two two brothers are now working in computing. Right. Um, one's a um, One's a consultant at, uh, at a large consultancy firm, and one works for um, Xbox. Uh, right. He's a games designer, and then the middle one is a forensic pathologist. He's a he's a doctor. So right. I'm, you know, where do I fit in that? I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. <laughs> so is it quite rural where you lived then? When you were yeah, there? yeah. Oh, don't get me started on that. It was all fields when I used to live there, and now it's all kind of slowly being built up with oh, houses really? and yeah, yeah. Trying to they're trying to you know move people in, in out to Suffolk because it's not, actually not that far from London it felt like it was a million miles when I was growing up you know and I'd see all these amazing concerts like Live Aid happening in London yeah. that was like a distant dream to me <laughs> <laughs> was it a fairly outdoorsy sort of life then yeah I was a big sailor so I, right. obviously I lived near the Norfolk Broads and the sea so I used to do I used to race at weekends only dinghies not massive yachts or anything but I used to race on a Saturday and Sunday and a Wednesday evening so yeah I was out a lot so was that sort of competitive then or was yeah it? competitive yeah right yeah and how far did you take that uh, just kind of just on, on the Norfolk Broads I didn't really go you know we didn't go very 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 far with it and then, you know and I wasn't wasn't that keen and then, I, and then I took up judo as a as a teenager which I then revisited as a as an adult so I had a, okay. I, I did, uh, did did it for a few years and then then went back in my mid-20s when I'm when I moved to London actually and uh, my husband and I now have a judo club so right. <laughs> that's how we met in fact oh, <laughs> yeah. so this is something that you do outside of work yes yeah. So how long have you been doing that for, judo? Uh, well, this time probably about twenty years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that's something that you run in the evenings or weekends? Yeah, it's on a Friday evening. Yeah, right. yeah. So um, he, he does most of the work and um, we have um, some young guys who kind of run the kids' classes and things. And then I just swan in. I just swan in. <laughs> I'm going to join you today. <laughs> Here I am. So, yeah. But you say you met your husband there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you grappling? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> is that the right word i don't know the yeah judo. yeah yeah no, it's just, about yeah 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 i mean the great thing about being a female in um in the judo world is that you you know and, and if you're straight you have you have a lot of choice <laughs> and so naturally i chose the highest graded man in the on in the in the room and we've been together ever since yeah <laughs> that must be great though having that alongside the sort of professional career as well to have the yeah the it's a completely sort. different world yeah. you know it's a different it's a different it's a different group of people um they you, you know our kind of friends our judo friends have no clue what i do um and and i think if i told them they would just tell me to shut up so <laughs> um yeah it's 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 interesting interesting yeah. my husband was a fireman his entire working career as well so again he's comes from a completely different viewpoint on life yeah. you know i'm getting stressed because we can't get the right model for a shoe and he's yeah. like oh shut up yeah. <laughs> yeah, i often feel the same way I, you know work in journalism and my wife's a head of maths at a secondary school oh. so you know my my uh, concerns pale into <laughs> insignificance when she tells me about what's going on at her school oh my god so, what, yeah, what years what is she doing then she does uh well she's at a, a relatively new school so they only have year seven and eight at the moment oh okay they're, they're adding a new year they're quite malleable year. still at that age yeah. is they i think nine and year nine's the or well, that's yes. the tipping point yes she has taught yeah. that up, yeah. right up to year 11 before oh. so yeah full on I've got a 17-year-old daughter. She's just coming out of the of the the, the sassy, I know right. everything stage. How long did it last for? Uh, oh God, I think probably five years. <laughs> yeah. At least now, when she argues with me, there's a there's a slight kind of reasonableness and rationale to the way she's arguing. Yeah. Whereas before, it was just noise. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit, yeah. There's, a, there's actually some thought got into it. Now. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I appreciate that. But yeah, no, I, I, I can feel your wife's pain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with, when you did English literature, then was yes. that was that the ambition? Was that to be, you know, involved in writing somehow, or was that? I don't know that I ever thought about. It. And, and again, it's interesting. You know, I'm I'm now hiring people in there. 20s and early 30s and there's they have such strong ambitions mm. and life plans mm. and you know this is where i need to, i want to be in, in a year this is where i want to be in five years mm. i don't think i ever had that no. i was just like i need to work so i can go to the pub and yes. hang out with my friends and and there was never that that type of ambition i think i developed that ambition when i realized how amazing this industry is and and the potential for it and mm. um and and that that hasn't gone away and i couldn't Im honestly imagine doing anything else right now um but but having that kind of that sense of i'm going into photography i'm gonna you know i'm yeah. gonna be a photographer or i'm gonna be an art director or, or creative director or whatever that that didn't really kind of cross my mind but interestingly what i did study when i was doing english literature when when i went when i was given the opportunity to make a choice i did study a lot of kind of women's literature and gothic mm. novels which obviously you know there was a lot of female um uh writers there so i, I was obviously interested in what women had to say at that point mm. and that again has just started to come out of me i think as i've kind of got to this position at Getty Images where I'm like you know the female leader yeah. and and um, and it's my responsibility now to to do something about this so so was English yeah. literature really more it felt like a, a good degree to do that would then potentially you know it, would, it you, could get me somewhere yeah, yeah yeah and again you know there wasn't so much choice no. you know uh, it was it was kind of standard degrees mm. you know uh, where was that you did that that was at keel in Staffordshire right. which and the reason I was at keel was because they offered this liberal arts degrees which were um you did a foundation and you studied whatever you wanted to study kind of like the American system almost mm. and then you took on either a major or two majors and you could do minors as well but I I ended up doing English literature and then I also did sociology as well um and in my first year I studied <laughs> philosophy psychology and astronomy 
Academy. Wow. So my degree certificate has BA honours, 2-1, just saying, um, <laughs> in English literature. And then it has astronomy Brilliant. listed on my degree. I couldn't even tell you who the planets are. I mean, it's just like, it's gone out of my mind now. But at the time, I really enjoyed doing it. So and it was so it different. you a real freedom to study what you wanted. Yeah, yeah. And I love time. that. Yeah. I love that. And Kiel was a real lefty university. We, we'd protest about anything at the time. So it was just a great place. <laughs> what did you place. protest about? I think it was Tiananmen Square and it yeah. was that kind of era. Yeah, yeah. And was, is Kiel, that's quite a sort of campus It's it totally campus, it? yeah. yeah. It's up on the hill in uh, Newcastle-under-Lyme, which is yeah. near Stoke-on-Trent, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 all, it's like a Hogwarts existence. <laughs> You're just up there and you don't, don't mix with anyone, you know, yeah. Did you, yeah. Did you enjoy that, though? Was it, was it a loved nice experience? Loved it, yeah. loved it. Yeah, really, really enjoyable, yeah. And did you did the masters then straight after that, or did you work? Uh, for yes, bit? I did. Yeah. Right. So Watford College, which I think is now called West Hertz University mm. in the centre of Watford, um, was the only course at that time early 90s where you could study advertising as a subject mm. and so it was a course they offered it for only 20 people and they used to have hundreds of people uh, applying and it was very difficult and you had to go through an interview process and uh, i think did i do a portfolio or something god knows where i got that from um <laughs> and portfolio process and um and, and I, I managed to get in and it was seen as a great you know excitement and you had to pay you know, because during that time it was we still had grants, yeah. but for this particular course you had to pay, um, and so you know my parents very kindly paid for me, um, mm. and I did that course, and that really that kind of lit a fire in me. I think I thought here my English is really useful, um, but I'm also kind of thinking about other things like graphic design yeah. and um, and photography uh, to some degree as well. And we used to come to London a lot and visit ad agencies and stuff. And I was like, yes, I'm nearly there. I'm getting mm. there. I'm Getting closer to, to to where I where I need to be, um, so it, yeah, it was really useful. And, and interestingly, my job now I write a lot of creative briefs, and so actually the ability to write mm. is really important. But it's not something I've I have spent the last twenty years evolving or thinking about but mm. but i kind of have because yeah. it's been part of my job so yeah. it's funny how it all comes around in a circle yeah. isn't it everything yeah. that you pick up you can yeah. kind of use along the way can't yeah you? so it was advertising then you kind of felt like okay right this is like you could see a path in yeah, a way. I, I knew. Or you I, could see a route to London. Anyway. I could see a route to London. Yeah, yeah where the where the streets were paved with gold. <laughs> <laughs> um, I um, I love well, the thing I loved about advertising was I, I knew I wasn't an artist. Mm. I knew I didn't have that in me to create. Um, you know, a great painting or a sculpture. Although I, you know, certainly have a, have a go. Mm. Um, but but with advertising at that time, especially if you think the '90s, it was like Hagen Dar and Benetton and yeah. Wonder Bra. It was that era where it was actually pretty arty photography. Um, but I saw the kind of the, the, when you brought the commercial element of art together, then actually it was really exciting, and you could, you know create great things and so that was the thing that really attracted me to mm. it yeah obviously now ooh, i wouldn't work in advertising if you paid me <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so then that was the plan but then did, were you applying for advertising jobs yes then? yeah and in fact i had interviews at the same time as i had the job right. uh, here um but, but i decided to give this one a bash so yeah and so, yeah, what were those early days like? Because it was it wasn't for Getty then, was it? It was a small. Yeah, a small so it agency. was a tiny agency. Well, it wasn't tiny. It was it was big in terms of the stock world. It was called Tony Stone Images, which mm. was set up by a guy called Tony Stone, and it started in Finchley and then moved across the road um, to, to where we're sitting right now in in Camden, and. Um, he Tony Stone himself was was a brilliant man in that he was a creative he was a photographer and he saw that if you created this he didn't invent stock photography that was already around mm. but he realized that if you did stock photography one percent better than everybody else was doing and and obviously at the same price point then you you would make a killing because there, you know there were standard things that people needed at that time they needed sunny skies because they were still doing you know advertising agencies were still doing massive productions in uh you know the caribbean or the maldives or whatever but they weren't guaranteed the weather mm. and so they still do the shoot and then they'd buy the sunny sky from us and comp it in right um or they need an you know a standard image of a of an apple or, or a potato or or you know something that that was kind of element element 
tool to yeah. to an image and he really understood that and and that was kind of the basis of of the success of tony stone images mm. you know when we were when we were creating that collection in the 90s every year 95 percent of everything we created sold <laughs> which is a, a ridiculous turnover i'm suspecting that's higher than the, the you know the sort of industry average Yes, <laughs> by about 90 percent, I'd right. say. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, but it was incredibly successful. So he'd hit on a sort of idea he'd, that was he'd, really important. Yeah, yeah, which is so simple if you think about it. But yeah. but but he he really understood that, and he brought in some really great advertising photographers who had downtime to shoot this stuff, stuff specifically. So the kind of the the, the old. Um, kind of narrative of stock photography was that it was shoe boxes of dusty slides and you know that that would then be you know put into catalogs to to sell mm. he was actually creating content specifically for this industry and we used to create these big books and you know and they were beautifully designed and you know highly covetable and mm. you know they cost about a fiver each to make and then we then we'd courier them and post them i mean gosh you know goodness knows how much it used to cost <laughs> um and um and and you know and then when Getty Images bought the business and 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 again he was incredibly smart in that he sold the business because he realised that digital was coming and that he didn't have a, the knowledge or even uh, or the finances to do that mm. and and when um, Mark Getty and Jonathan Klein who were the two uh, who who um, who established Getty Images came you know and and um, uh, offered to buy the business um, you know that was the right time to do it because mm. they digitised us and they got us online before anybody else we were the first agency to be online mm. um and you know and the rest is history really i was gonna say i mean there's that whole shift in the sort of late 90s of the internet and the explosion of the use of stock photography must have been a massive change for everything that you were doing yeah i mean how how was it being around at that time you know to, to try and keep up with or to try and be ahead of the game, I guess. Yeah, was the challenge. Yeah. That I'm assuming it was. It was a supplies market for a really, really long time. The demand far outweighed the supply, mm. and so everything we did, we, we knew was going to be highly successful. So every every time a photographer got an image in one of our books they knew that that image was gonna make them some money yeah and so it was kind of a winning formula in some ways and then obviously when we moved into the digital platform the market decides demand mm. decides because everything's created um oh, sorry everything's presented equally mm. you don't have a full page or, 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 or the front or the back or, or yeah. whatever everything's there and search then becomes the key thing and, and the mm. way that images are keyword it becomes important and so it becomes a different business it becomes a different industry um and so you know we lost some great photographers along the way who weren't able to adapt to that then the photographers that have adapted along the way are the ones that have continued to be successful mm. um and i think it's probably very hard for photographers who are used to licensing their images for many many thousands of pounds to then yeah moving towards this micro stock uh, model um but it just means shooting in a different way and and shooting more and uh, um and shooting differently mm. uh, different content sorry so um it was incredibly exciting I, I have to say because we were kind of right in the middle of it we were buying big collections we bought the archive um uh from holton deutsch and then obviously it became the um the the, the holton getty archive and the, now it's the getty archive um and we were we bought a lot of our competitors and so we were kind of you know subsuming their content into ours and our collections were growing and growing so mm. a, a lot of content that we had been desperately seeking was suddenly hours you know yeah. um so that, again that was very very exciting did it um, feel at any stage because i seem to remember at the time that there was chat that oh it seemed like you know with the google images that it could be the end of the whole industry in many ways yes. because yeah yeah all this free well on the face of it free yeah high resolution imagery was that did it feel like that at the time um yeah, but it was kind of it was just one of many things that we were we were fighting against at the time. You mm. know, I, th I think those kind of battles are new battles. They're not battles that we've had in the past. And again, you know, you've got this new generation of image searchers, image buyers, or even you know young people who are creating work for A levels and GCSEs, who think it's okay to just right click and take an image. Yeah. You know. 
but as a result of that, you know, intellectual property law has has um, improved, and um, you know, the understanding of, of of someone's copyright is is starting to become you know part of kind of education, and mm. and and, um, uh, and and it's more appreciative. And you know, we as a business, we actually were the ones who uh, um, let's say encouraged Google to change their ways with with uh, with their with their image search because mm. they were essentially being um, anti-competitive in many ways they was they were stopping mm. us and, and and not allowing us to make money for our uh, photographers by giving away our images for free mm. so as far as they were concerned it was a um it was a good experience for the consumer but um it did it, it didn't allow um uh you know our, our small business owners and mm. our freelancers to to continue to make money and that's not cool yeah. so obviously the european court decided that was not cool and they had to change their the the way that they now serve up images so mm. if they serve up a getty images image it, you know you it's very very clear that it belongs to us which yeah. is great yeah. So did that feel like a big victory? It was a big victory and we're very very proud of that because mm. it wasn't it wasn't actually about us particularly it was about all content creators. Yeah. You know and and you know Google has got to a point now it's almost it seems untouchable because it's so big mm. but actually you know it still has to play fair and it still has to um Oh, what's their what's their um, logo? Do no evil or something, yeah. isn't it? They don't be evil. Don't be evil. Yeah. yeah. Well, turns out they can be. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's important that we we stood up for for ourselves and we stood up for yeah. um for, for other. I other guess that people. feeds into the, the story recently as well about the whole sort of memes. Isn't it? that was the big thing recently? Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. Sort of, it's interesting to see how that will play out because that's only just come into force. Yeah, think, it has. Yeah, yeah. It's it's you you could uh, have to pay. If, if you use images for, you know, meme, for meme type yeah. images, I mean, mm. where do you, how do you feel? Is that a similar sort of? I guess it is. It's, it's not. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know that we've had any experience of it ourselves, where our, our images have been used. Um, I think we'll just watch and watch mm. and learn and see see what happens there. Yeah. Obviously, we'll always be on the side of the copyright holder. So yeah. you know, in terms of who we think is uh, who we think's right in that situation. Yeah. Um, you touched on yeah. it a bit as well. It must be it must have been a difficult time. It must be a difficult time for the photographers, the free, self-employed photographers, over the last few years. I mean, have you mentioned that you've lost you, you lost some? But I mean, has mm. has that fundamentally changed the industry? For them, has it reduced the number of photographers that are actually working and earning a living from it? Uh, no, it's it's increased. It's it's it, uh, the huge amounts of money that that were available to a small set of photographers mm. has become a, a much larger pot, but it's across many millions of photographers. No, that's probably too many. Hundreds of thousands of photographers. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's yeah, it's it's spread out okay. more e not evenly, but it's spread out across more people. So actually there's far more photographers now who are working. We work with way more photographers than we did in the past. Um and we can work, you know, across larger um geographies as well, which is mm. great. You know, we're not just forced to work with people in London, for example. Um um so I, anyone who's coming into the industry it's very exciting there's a lot of opportunity especially with all this talk about you know um who's behind the camera and and having more um uh, more more focus on that um but also in terms of where images are used now compared to you know again if i think back to when i started it was print campaigns it was uh, billboards it was the odd um direct mail do you remember direct mail yes I do. <laughs> dl dl leaflets <laughs> uh, that was a big thing at the time um now i mean geez you know i, I pretty much every major brand has has to put new content out at least once a day so it's it's again it's that turnover it's yeah. that turnover content so if you're creating beautiful images but you're only doing 10 a year then you have to expect that your <laughs> income is going to be different sure. to someone who's who's continually creating yeah and there's no there's no obvious formula as to what how many you should make because yeah. obviously it depends on so many things like whether you're a good photographer or not yeah. whether you're creating content that people want to buy and that's kind of where we fit in we we spend a lot of time advising our photographers on what they should be photographing or the filmmakers what they should be filming because mm we've got all of that data and we can share that with them yeah and so does it feel a bit like having gone through the whole 
process of you know the the birth and now of the internet and now the rise of social media does it feel like the, the industry's in a bit of a sort of even keel at the moment or are you just waiting for the next big change <laughs> yeah well we're always waiting for the next big change <laughs> uh and it never really stays still which i no. find fascinating for in in that regard um there's a couple of things that are happening that, that I find really, really interesting. Mm. One is obviously representation, diversity, inclusion. I think that has brought a whole fresh viewpoint on what we should and shouldn't be photographing. Um, also, the, the, the renewed interest in sustainability. This, this might seem like a bit of a lateral leap here, but, mm. but I remember before the financial crisis, we were working with a lot of brands on, uh, on, on the environment. You know, they were talking about being environmentally friendly. Do you remember the polar? bear and you know the polar bear on the ice cap and um al gore's um inconvenient truth it was all kind of pre-financial crisis financial crisis happened environment got forgotten we were kind of more thinking about the recession and you know you know uh, austerity and and whatnot um and more recently sustainability has become a a a a key branding message for, for pretty much for every industry because again you know when you think about the younger people coming through much more value driven in terms of how they approach brands and so obviously sustainability is a big part of that but what's happening is is rather than it being about wind farms and solar panels and you know the <laughs> uh, I don't know holding a leaf up to the sky and you know those kind of classic <laughs> yeah. environmental cliches yeah. it's things like um photographing someone with a reusable coffee cup rather yeah. than with a with a with a disposable coffee cup uh, you know we do a lot of um business meetings for example where people are sitting around you know um talking in a, in a in a corporate situation and you can pretty much guarantee in most of those situations someone has a disposable coffee cup yeah. whether it's a prop or whether it's their own you know and that's not cool anymore no. you know if you're thinking if you're thinking sustainably you have to think about those small details yeah. same with uh water bottles you know having reusable water bottles having a paper straw versus a plastic straw and, you know th- all of those things which are kind of part of our lifestyles now part of our everyday actually are tiny details in a lot of photographs but actually are going to turn off the next generation yeah. of, of image viewers and could so, be the that tiny detail be the difference between the image selling or not exactly yeah. exactly so that's fascinating the other thing that i'm finding personally fascinating is that our image buying audience so our customers whether that's somebody who's sitting in a uh, in, in a massive organization or they're sitting in a old-fashioned old ad agency or a new digital agency or, or they're an online uh, magazine or whatever you know they don't remember the 90s <laughs> and a lot of that <laughs> photography that was created in the 90s mm. you know even if you think about you know the the, the you know the, the really wonderful uh, imagery that um you know brands like guinness created or um oh even yeah i mean you know even if you think about the 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 wonderful hagen dark campaign you know which which had such a splash at the time yeah um and then you know from our point of view the the very highly conceptual business concepts images the arrow in the target and the chessboard piece on the chessboard yeah. which <laughs> honestly i can't stomach that stuff because it's <laughs> part of my history and, and part of my baggage yeah but that stuff has never been seen on social media and it's not in mainstream advertising anymore. Yeah. So when it pops up in search, it's it's seen as new and exciting. Yeah. That is fascinating to me because that's the first time we've gone through a, an entire roll of the, of the, of the dice or the, the mm. wheel, you know, um, the wheels turned completely 360. So now we're having to shoot all of this stuff that we used to shoot back in the 90s. Yeah. So amazing. So reshooting the same concept. Yeah. Yeah, but also, but also thinking about it with this kind of this new lens in terms of you know if you've got a hand holding the chess piece, you're not necessarily going to have a a white male with a business suit on. You're gonna you're gonna mix that up and change it up. So it's all about in many ways reflecting what clients are going to be interested in buying. Clearly, isn't it about what what they want to and the the images they want to portray in terms of who's in the image yeah what they're doing what they're wearing what they're holding yeah it's all and that's the shifting thing isn't it yeah it's yeah yeah and then, i mean the other thing that wasn't around in the 90s which has kind of become more a, a more of a, of a kind of research science is um neuroscience hmm. so again you know probably 
2000, 2001 was where the EEG technology was, you know, invented. Would you call it invented? I don't know. Yeah, made, I think so. made affordable yeah. for, for researchers. So, you know, before you'd have to put someone in an MRI scanner and scan their brain, which is, I don't know, many thousands of pounds every time you do it. But with this kind of these caps that you can now put on people, you can actually look at um, instinctive reactions to images. So the science around understanding how we relate to images mm. is getting stronger and the, and the research is growing around that. So um, I think that's going to really help us in, in the future as well to, to really, really understand what, what it is we, we react to and what we relate to. Mm. Um, it's been a bit of a kind of bit of a muddy science, um, a bit, bit kind of woolly, I think, until, <laughs> until mm. this point, but really pinpointing, you know, of that image in that image that thing is the thing that people people mm. react to what are the other things that are sort of on the horizon then in terms of the way you're changing i know you have worked on some stuff about muslim women and but also what other areas do you think are going to be the ones coming up on the horizon for us yeah um the 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 next thing for us is looking at aging okay which is, as you can imagine, is something very close to my heart. <laughs> Do you know, I, I remember when I started in this, I was in my 20s and we were talking about, you know, we need to shoot more people in their 40s. Yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> no, how do you shoot someone in their 40s? They're so old. <laughs> and now I am that person. Yeah. Like, I'm no different to, you know. Um, and 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 the, I think the whole thing around demographics actually has shifted. You know, I, I, this industry was very much based on demographics. You know, who's your target audience? What demographic are they? Much more marketing now is around personas and, and psychographics and, you know, how you look at the world rather than what age you are or, okay, you know, yeah. whether you're married or, or whether you have kids or whatever. Mm. Um, and I think age is, is kind of the last frontier in that regard. You know, uh, the way families are represented is getting better. It's still not brilliant, mm. um, but it's getting, it's getting better. And uh, the way, obviously, way women are being presented is, is getting better. And even, I mean, men, we've done a lot of research in me, around men as well, because that's equally a stereotype typical as, as women mm. um and so i think age is you know that's the, definitely the next big thing for us you know what what does an over 50 look like versus an over 60s over 70 over 80 mm. they tend to all be like plus 55 tends to be the age group <laughs> yeah. and that's a 40 maybe even a 50 year period yeah and i guess people are living much more active varied lives exactly. at 80 than they were exactly 20 years ago yeah yeah well maybe they were but the, you know the the perception is very yeah different, and and i think also the the advertising aspirational perception has changed mm. you know the 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 percept the, the the aspiration for getting old was uh, a cruise a yeah. walk on the beach yeah. a grandchild on your knee yeah. those were the three things uh sometimes <laughs> surfing as well there's a lot of surfing in, in retirement advertising you'll see um but now it could be a whole multitude of things yeah. um and so you know we have to we have to get better at that yeah and showing people some people have gray hair some people dye their hair some people you know maybe yeah. even shave their heads um <laughs> and 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 really getting you know getting to grips with with all of that yeah yeah now i know you said in the early days you didn't have any kind of plan but do you have a plan now in terms of the next few years for yourself <laughs> yeah that's a really good one <laughs> I, keep, I keep saying i'm never retiring so definitely not retirement um yeah i, I think I, I want to see this this um, this this dove thing through. I think that's re it's really important to me. I want to see the disability thing through, and mm. I, I want to get the age thing going. And I'm sure as that happens, something else will come out. I think, oh yeah, I'll do that. I'm yeah. uh, I'm learning the ukulele, so oh, yeah. I'd really like to get good at that. <laughs> I'm very when did good. You start that? I started that. Uh, let me think. Uh, September last year. Right. So I'm very good in a group. But when I start playing by myself, it doesn't sound as good. <laughs> so, Had you played any musical instrument before? No. No, it was just, it was while I was doing my PhD, I needed something at the end that was going to be fun, that yeah. would still keep me, you know, motivated and kind of mentally engaged. And uh, my mother plays in a ukulele band. Right. And I'd been <laughs> along and had a play with her, you know. Um, and uh, the great thing about the ukulele is you can play three chords and you can pretty much play anything. Yeah. So, um so I, I joined this group and uh, with a friend of mine and actually one of my brothers. And so we go along on a Saturday 
Um, we're doing Dolly Parton songs at the moment, which fills me with glee. I am so happy. Fantastic. Do you <laughs> yeah. sing as well or just play? Yeah, the... well, I do, but <laughs> I wouldn't, yeah. <laughs> and is it, this is building up to a performance in the future or is this purely for... Uh... It's pure enjoyment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So you're enjoying the ukulele, but a question, final question I'd like to ask everyone is, what are you enjoying apart from that at the moment? Like creatively so in terms of consuming stuff so it could be read something you're reading or something you're listening to or something you've watched oh my god what am i enjoying let me think that's really that's a really good question <laughs> what am i enjoying uh, I'm enjoying not reading academic books. <laughs> I'm enjoying reading trashy novels again, I have to say. What have you been reading? I've been reading, um, oh God, what did I read? I read three books while I was on, um, while I was on holiday. Oh, I read the book um, that the, uh, the junior doctor wrote about, um, oh, is yeah. it This Will Hurt or yeah. This Might Hurt? Some, some, yeah, yeah, This Might Hurt, I think. Isn't which it? Yeah. is much later than everybody else. Yeah. I've started watching Grey's Anatomy right. 10 years after everybody else. <laughs> um uh, which was again great. Really enjoying getting into that. Um, uh, yeah, and just doing things like going to the theatre more. You know, I'd love to be. I'd love to go every week if I possibly can. Huge right. fan of musical theatre. Okay. Um, so I would love to be. You know, have going you always to had that, or is that more recent? Uh, always. Yeah, but but definitely been able to afford it more recently <laughs> um and um and going to the cinema again you know having having those kind of experiences which i couldn't when i was studying yeah. i always felt guilty for for doing it so it's good to be able to kind of get out there and have have that enjoyment again yeah yeah were there ever any ambitions to be involved in musical theatre or it was just to enjoy to watch? No, my, my daughter, I've, I'm living vicariously through her. Oh, so yeah. she was in she was in musical theatre group for, oh gosh, probably uh, 15 years. And then she's kind of outgrown it now and, you know, uh, is not involved. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed kind of going to her productions Um and uh, you know she did all the classics. So, um, but but because she's also a big fan, then I have a good excuse to to yeah. go with her. <laughs> great. Oh, well, enjoy that. And thank you for talking to me, Rebecca. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Thanks a lot. <laughs> all right, no worries. <laughs> Thanks for listening. As always, that was a really lovely chat with Rebecca. I hope you enjoyed it. She was fun and uh, really interesting insights into the industry. And really, I loved hearing the story of uh, how she you know, found her way in the industry, uh, almost by accident at first, but then clearly found out what she wanted to do and, and really, you know, went for it. It was a great story. Um, thank you for listening as always. Get in touch if you can. I'd love to hear from you. It's always brilliant to hear from people. Uh, you can comment on the website, creativeforcespod.com. You can uh, send me a tweet, creativeforcesp or Guy Kilty on Twitter. There's a Facebook page if you want to message there or there's creativeforcespod at gmail.com. Also, please, if you can, leave a review, uh, whatever you can do on your podcast app just to say that you like the podcast. That would be great. Uh, thanks for listening as always. See you soon.